0: carrying that check. I said, you know, when my dad pivoted from full-time military, he was coast guard for 27 years, highly decorated officer. And when he retired and went into, um, Bible college to go in the pastorate, which is what he felt like he should do. And I think he was 47. He was paid 250 a week. And so I remember I was holding this check, you know, I'm, I'm such a mindset coach. I was holding that check. And I said to my husband, I said, Hey, I just spoke today for my dad's weekly salary. My dad's weekly salary when he pivoted. I said, that's, that's kind of special, that's, that's kind of cool. Um,
1: my name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast. A show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text podcast to 972 945 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit competeeveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. Sometimes you just need to sit down and have a cup of coffee with a good person. Today's guest is a near and dear friend. She has been not only a friend, a mentor and a coach to me over the last number of years. Carrie Wilkerson, formerly known as the Barefoot Executive and now one of the world's leading speakers and coaches of individuals running programs, developing programs and more than anything changing the world, sits down today to just jam. We talk about life. We talk about speaking careers. We talk about more than anything else, being leaders and trying to serve others. And there's a number of key takeaways I wanna point out here in the intro for you to be on the lookout for in the conversation. The first is not being afraid to change, to grow, to leave past successes behind in the pursuit of something more. The importance of not having to be there for every single thing in maybe your spouse or your child's life. But when you can't, setting those expectations, communicating, and then still continuing to create an experience. If you're wondering what we're talking about, you'll find out toward the end of the episode as we talk about birthdays and why Carrie's okay missing kids' birthdays. Not every time, but sometimes. And she explains what she does in that process to still continue to invest and develop that relationship. We talk about shifting the mindset from being someone all about self-promotion to serving others, and why that simple shift is so incredibly important in your leadership role, whether you're in corporate America or whether you're building something yourself, why if we go into every single interaction, engagement, opportunity, less thinking about how does this benefit me, and more thinking about how can I help others, what that does over the course of our career to help us be successful. Carrie drops a ton of bombs throughout this conversation and I hope you enjoy as I get to sit down with my dear friend, and coach. As we dive into the show, I want to encourage you, as always, if you want to start the day, the week, a little bit stronger, a little more focused, and with a little mm in your step, I want to encourage you to join the Morning Motivation Club. All you got to do is text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. That's text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. You'll be joined into the free membership of the Morning Text Club and have the opportunity, if you love it, To join us in on the daily where every single morning you're getting fresh messages from me to help you start the day encouraged, motivated, and ready to go compete. Now, let's get into the show and welcome in Carrie Wilkerson. Carrie, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Jake.
1: (laughs) So I have to ask because I feel like uh, we have some similarities in this. Okay. Did you ever think, or were you ever told that you would be speaking behind a pulpit one day?
0: (laughs) Actually, I'm from a conservative denomination. So no, that wouldn't be allowed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I, I like to say, my dad was a pastor. So I like to say, you know, he really hoped that one of the kids in the family would also be a pastor. He just didn't imagine that it would be his daughter and that it would be about business. So (laughs) Uh, he did say, and you've heard me say this before, he did say, baby girl, if you could find a way to get paid for talking, you'll have it made. So I'm we all sure know that's not. not preaching, right? They're not <laughs> they're not
1: well, I don't know. I don't know. I've seen the sneaker collections on a handful of uh, a handful of those pastors on Instagram. Top
0: point, point, point one percent. Like the rest of the pastors really are grossly underpaid.
1: Uh, yep. But teachers and, and a whole other number of, uh, professions. And, but you and I, as I left, we, uh, I was told my youth minister growing up, thought I would be a pastor. And I was like, yeah, mm, yeah. weekends I, are probably a little different than that. And I don't really know if I want to do that. And then sure enough, years later, I left because I'm on stages.
0: Kind uh, of, yeah, we, we kind of are, we have a marketplace ministry. Um, I was, uh, I think my family thought I would do music ministry. Like I would be doing women's conferences or, cause I sang, I was a, I'm a trained musician. So I think that's what they thought I would be doing is teaching music and probably doing some kind of, you know, singing for women.
1: And now you're just, you're speaking for women men. and men and yep. <laughs> teaching everybody. I, I, I want to uh, cue listeners up. So Carrie, uh, Carrie is my business coach. She has been a keynote speaker for quite some time, a seasoned vet that just crushes it in arenas. So I think, uh, your favorite, maybe basketball stadium or football stadium and, and having that, that is what Carrie excels at. And, but it didn't always start that way. We mm-hmm. got to flashback a little bit. So I want at least a little bit of a snapshot for our listeners who may not know you, uh, tell me how you got started with barefoot And then what that's eventually evolved into the work you're doing today. I know that's quite a ride. And so I'm going to jump in at different spots and ask you questions.
0: Yeah. And that's a, it it like actually didn't even start with barefoot. So I, you know, grew up in a very conservative, patriarchal, traditional household and um, college was never an option, meaning I was going to go because my parents said, you have to go because that's probably where you're going to meet your husband. And you need to have a degree. So you have something to fall back on in case something happens to him. We right? are in the yeah. South.
1: I'm just going to remind everyone: We are in everybody. the South yep. and
0: it was a military family and then a, then a preacher's family. Um, so that was the plan uh, to further narrow it down. They told me I had to choose from one of the Baptist schools in Texas. Like I couldn't even like you and I would not have met at TCU because it's a different denomination. Yep. Like they were very specific because obviously I wasn't going to be smart enough to choose for myself. I needed to go be amongst all the Baptist boys in Texas. Um, So that's why I went to college. Um, Someone asked me the other day if my parents like had big goals for me and those kind of things. And I said, you know, we didn't really talk about goals in our, like, I think our parents just wanted us to be self-sufficient and happily married. I mean, I think that was the whole self-sufficient, happily married and in church, I think yeah. were the three criteria. And, um, that's what they could see. And that's were their measures of success. So it wasn't about like big dreams or any of that, but I went to college and, uh, studied music because that's what I did in high school. I was on stage. I performed all those kind of things. And sure enough, uh, met a boy there. I was very clear in my prayer life that I was not going to marry a preacher anybody that's ever heard me speak knows I am not cut out to be pastor's wife material. Uh, That's that's some kind of trouble waiting to happen, but he gave me a preacher's kid. So I married another preacher's kid, but he's in finance and uh, very conservative. uh, Also very like uh, emotionally opposite. So we're Tigger and Eeyore and I'll let listeners decide who's who, Uh, but we had a very traditional path. You know, I was going to finish college and then I got my teacher certificate and While I was going through school, I worked in the the legal sector. I worked um, in the the government sector. I worked for the Small Business Administration at 1.84 hours a week, Jake, to pay off my student loans and during the summers. Uh, Very driven, but I didn't know towards what. I was just driven to do. And so I was exploring all the things and working at all the things. And I did love to work. And I know that sounds weird, but I love to work and I love to work. What did you like about it? Well, I like to make money, but I like, I think I liked changing the place I was in. I, um, I helped the SBA figure out some automations and uh, this was pre pre-computer, figure out some automations. I would help people figure out templating, uh, optimize systems, look at how their marketing could be different. It was was really kind of interesting. And then I went into education after I graduated college and taught high school. Uh, They were very scarily close to my age at that point, but I taught high school yearbook and journalism and publications. And I loved that, but I fell in love with the marketing part of that because we had no budget. So we had to create all of our own money. And the way we created our money was by selling our publications and selling ads. So this girl who had no business experience, no business knowledge, fell in love with marketing and results-based efforts. So um, I taught for three years. I I do everything like full tilt for three years. And then I have to do something different. So um taught for three years, adopted two kids, suddenly decided I was done that I needed to do something from home. I uh, These kids came from hard places. I didn't want them to doubt who their mom was. And so I said, you know what? There's this thing called the internet and I have this laptop from my last gig and I'm pretty smart. I bet there's a way I can figure out how to cover my salary from home with these kids. This was 1998, literally another century ago, 1998. Back when and, you could
1: get like 95% open on email rates and right, right. dial up. And, and oh, you yes. couldn't wait
0: to share your email with people. Yeah, you couldn't wait. So um, then I went to the library It said, you know, what kind of businesses can I start? And honestly, there just were not a lot of books. There, were not, there was not a lot of resources. We were pioneers, interestingly, at that point. Everybody thought I was crazy, but I figured it out little by little. And uh, I went into sales. So I represented a direct sales company pivoted uh did really well with that but pivoted to creating a service based company for those same direct sellers leveraging a dial-up interconnection templated newsletters and desktop publishing and at one point i was serving 1700 clients a month with a newsletter i'd written some code that hacked their back office with desktop publishing software and i produced their monthly like motivational newsletter reporting for their people and really shouting out education encouragement all those kind of things um, and that was a multimillion dollar business. We exited that business. I believe we had the first team of virtual, um, assistants in the early 2000s. We didn't know what to call them, but yeah. people on that team across the nation that I paid that worked for me through software who I never met in person that worked at home with their kids, uh, creating this service using the internet. Um, we templated that we, I exited that because when I got asked to start speaking, I was speaking to a lot of other companies that it would have been a conflict of interest for me to work specifically with that one direct sales company. And then also be doing other, it, it didn't feel integrous to me. So I sold that one, uh, in 2008, um, 2007, I started a little website called the Barefoot Executive for other people working at home that might feel alone, that might need other resources, like how to send emails automatically, how to do automatic billing, other things I had investigated and figured out that I thought might be useful for them. I just intended to be a resource. And the Barefoot Executive was a nickname my husband called me because I was literally never wearing shoes, fat and happy, and Mothering my kids while being a CEO of this multi million dollar business. And- let me
1: let me ask you something on that. Because you started Barefoot Executive before you ended up selling, was there still any from a mental perspective challenge of making that transition of, of essentially selling your business, baby?
0: Um. Well, I'm married to, to an direction? accountant. <laughs> I'm married to an accountant, so He's in like his I'm mind, good. yes. In his yeah. mind, yes. Uh, he just really wanted to keep it for always. But the mental load of managing a team in that market, and again, the ownership, knowing that it had conflict of interest with some of the other yeah. companies I was working with, it was pretty clear cut for me. And I felt like there was a financial event coming. Sure enough, we had a recession in 2008. Um, also, at the rate technology was changing, I felt like it was going to render that business. It was going to fracture that business a bit and make, uh, people were moving more to websites and, um, WordPress was becoming really easy to use and we're moving a little away from newsletters. So it just felt like a great exit time. I don't usually get too attached. Like for me, when I'm done, I'm done. And I sold it and I had hit my numbers. It was my second exit of a company and I was ready for something new. Uh, And that was Barefoot Executive, which turned into an online website. And I started building an email list just to have a newsletter. And I was going to do a small membership site, like $10 a month. And and I did. That's how I started, which then led to a book, which led to my landline. We had those at the time ringing and people saying, we probably can't afford you, but would you come speak to our audiences? Um, You know, and it kind of took a life of its own. So when people come to me and say, Hey, I want to do what you do. I want to be a coach or a speaker. How did you do that? I I didn't do it on purpose. I did it because I was doing the thing. It's because I was doing the business. It's because I was doing other things to mastery. And then people wanted to hear about my mastery. They wanted to hear how I got to there. They didn't want to hear like, oh, you decided to be a public speaker when you were little. No, I mean, I'm speaking because people want to hear what I did. So you have to do the thing. Before. Book, the book people approached me, Thomas Nelson approached me on Twitter, their business acquisitions editor approached me on Twitter and said, hey, we want you to write us a book based on your brand. We've been following you for two years. Here's the outline of the proposal. Would you do this for us? That, that's just not how it works. No. It's not how it works. Usually you shop your proposal and now you self-publish, but at that point, if you had said to me, Hey, Carrie, we want to publish a book. How do we do that? I would have said, you know, honestly, just do what you do well and do it to mastery and let a lot of people see you doing it.
1: So what that, I mean, that makes a hundred percent sense. Uh, (laughs) because yeah, I mean that if you look at, uh, our space, there's people that have built businesses that have done those things that speak about it. And then, there's others that it's a little bit more of a challenge because they haven't done some of the things first. They've never had to manage people, they've never had to lead people, they've never started businesses out of their house or car like we have. And so uh it's a different dynamic of, of their experiences. And so I, I agree with that because we hear, I hear a lot of like, oh, I want an apparel brand and speak and do all this other stuff. I'm like, well, it didn't start here. Right. And it kind of fell into it the way it did. What I'm curious about with you is because you take things to mastery, when was the point when you started getting asked to speak versus saying, like, even though I grew up watching a pastor deliver every week, how can I learn how to do this really well?
0: Hmm. <laughs> um I was, I did a lot of speaking even with my publishing business, because that's how I marketed it. I would go speak for free on the topic of delegation and you know why it's so imperative for you to be educating but also empowering your people and recognition. However, we want you dealing with people, not paper. I could probably still give some of those speeches like in my sleep, even though it was so long ago. Like we want, we focus on uh, the paper so you can focus on the people, right? Let us educate, inspire and empower them through recognition, entertainment, and uh, education. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it's
1: like an old song you hear comes on the radio, and you're yes, yeah, like, and know so the words I, would, to this.
0: Yeah, I would speak about a problem. I would speak about the problem, which was, you know, you'll increase your orders when your people see what's happening, you'll increase this when you recognize what's going well. You'll, and then the solution was to do a newsletter, and then oof, but a newsletter is hard, and I don't know the technology, blah blah blah. Oh, look, carries our solution. So I was yep. speaking anyway, so I was getting better at those skills, but I wasn't being paid except in sales, right? So, yeah. I would very, very often close 80% of the room that I was in. Um, and I loved it and it was super fun. It wasn't Mark. And this was before social media. So like direct response, marketing was going to speak or sending out postcards. That's what you did at that point. Um, when I started the barefoot Executive. um, People were asking me, like, how are you working at home and what are you doing and how are you leveraging this and et cetera, et cetera, and how are you leveraging technology? And so I did a lot of things like this, like podcasts. Back then it was blog talk radio or teleconference calls. So I really kind of said yes to every interview for about a year. For about a year, I just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked talked about what we were doing and what we had done and what we learned. And um, you never know who's listening. And so I'll never forget the first phone call I got on a landline. They looked me up in the phone book um, at that point. Um, you youngsters, Google that. So you'll know what I'm talking about. And like I answer the phone. "Hey, this is Carrie Wilkerson with the Barefoot Executive. Yes, it is. How'd you get my number? No, I didn't say that, but yeah. yes, it is. And they said, well, we need a keynote um, for an event in Dallas, which I live in Texas. We need a keynote for an event in Dallas. and You're probably way out of our budget. Like That was how they launched in. And we've heard you all over the place. We've heard you all over the place. So what was happening is their sales force was hearing me on these interviews and things and then reporting back. Yep. And they said, and we want you to come. Jake, they never asked for a video. They never asked for a speaker packet. They told me their theme. They told me I could talk about whatever I wanted. And here was my time frame, And then here's what they were going to pay me.
1: It's because you had the track record of the business.
0: Because they heard me speak and and they'd seen what I'd done. Yeah. And they knew my my history in the business. So... That was the first time. And I remember hanging up and feeling like it was illegal. Like I've been paid my whole life to shut up. I have three brothers. I've been paid my whole life to shut up. These people are about to cut me a check to say words on, on a stage. Like I'm gonna get paid to talk. Um, and then, then I started thinking, well, this is probably a fluke. Like we're not, this isn't repeatable. I still didn't market myself as a speaker. A few weeks later, I got a call. Um, from somebody that was following me on Twitter and they were having a big event in Columbus, Ohio. And, um, Chris Brogan had been the speaker the year before, and they wanted me to be the keynote for this event. And they asked me what I charged. And I said, well, talk, talk to me about your audience. I did all the delay tactics. Talk to me about your audience. Talk to me about who, but the data, talk to me about who spoke last year. And then, um, I tweeted Chris and asked him, we were friends and I tweeted him, asked him what his charge was. And so when I quoted them, I quoted them a little less. Them what? Because Chris had a New York times bestseller at the time. I didn't. So I quoted that. And, and even then I, I was just speaking as they called and they came to me. Then I spoke to 12,000 people just a few months later. I mean, literally my third paid speech was for 12,000 people. Wow. But let's not get it twisted. I had been speaking to thousands and thousands and thousands of people before, because a virtual audience are still bodies. Like if you just knew, uh, somebody the other day said, when you're doing podcasts, you really do have to imagine that you're speaking at the Super Bowl. You really do because you never know the reach of the audience and you never know where it's going to end up or who's going to hear it. Uh, I did a periscope. Remember when that was a thing? I did a periscope um, uh, on a small topic. And all of a sudden the CEO of a major company that I really wanted to speak for popped on because one of her leaders had said, this is who we want to keynote our conference. She popped onto a Periscope private messaged me after two minutes, private messaged me said, here's my private cell number. Would you give me a call when you hang up? Blew me to Vegas. Let me train her people online. And then, uh, She's the, she was my first six figure offer that she said, would you do a keynote for a conference? And I said, no, actually what I think would be better is, and I made her an alternate pitch and uh, she was my first six figure offer. So it's because I was speaking to thousands and thousands and thousands of people on a regular basis. Um, so I
1: want to, I want to talk about that, but because people listening or like following this and they're probably like, I can't replicate that. Like there's no, there's no replication of like step one, step two, step three.
0: You can't that, will
1: you? <laughs> well, will you? Well, the, the thing I like is you're doing the work, you're out selling your business, growing your business, you're speaking, you're looking for opportunities to get better, but then you're you're really good at self-promoting, but not in a say sleazy way. And so I'm curious how your approach with it is, because I feel like some of the most successful people in our business are great at promoting themselves but there's a lot of people promoting themselves where you're just like, really?
0: Um, I think I, I would say I'm not great at self-promotion. I would say I'm great at serving people. And, and
1: I, that's the difference.
0: I think there's a difference. Yeah. yeah, self-promotion is all about what I would get out of it. But serving people and being on their shows, I was never on their shows saying, hey, hire me to speak, or hey, hire me to be your coach, or hey, you know, I was just answering questions or telling them what we did or giving them resources about what software we had used or what they needed to look for in an accountant. Cause you know, a lot of accountants weren't familiar with business, online business in those days, you right. know, it was, I really was just helping people. Uh, the difference is maybe I have, I have good energy. Like I'm always happy to be there, I have great energy. Um, I care about people. I pay attention and. um. And I think people were drawn to that, but, but I am good on stage. Yes. I'm, you can't be
1: terrible on stage and keep getting opportunities.
0: No, no. And, and so I'm funny and, and I, well, the truth is I'm the same human on stage as I am at coffee. And you know that because you've seen me in all those places. Um, I'm, I'm conversational, um, I didn't dress any differently for the speech I did in front of John Maxwell than I did for any other speech. I was barefoot at that point when that was still my brand. I wouldn't now, but uh, I, I, well, and, and Dr. Maxwell will say, Harry connects with an audience. She has a conversation with an audience. She doesn't talk at the audience. She talks with them. And, and, and I've never seen anybody do it quite that way. So I didn't know any different because I wasn't a trained speaker. So to yeah. your point then of if you're doing things to mastery how do you work on being better? I have only hired one speaker coach in all this time and I regretted it when I did because I really like my style and I like how I engage with an audience and it works and I didn't like a formula or being put in a box. Um and also unless a coach has seen me on stage or knows my heart or my human that I speak to, they don't get me. They don't get me. I'm a yeah. bit of an enigma. And maybe that's what makes maybe that's what makes me so bookable is because I'm hard. I'm hard to to pinpoint. Now, that also makes me harder to market. So if you're hard to market, then what do you do? Well, you focus on incoming traffic. You focus on incoming traffic by drawing people to you instead of going out after people. I have a hard time going out after people because I don't have a really specific hook or box. Um, but my best converts are the ones that come to me. So, so I think there's a book called "Be So Good They Can't Ignore You." Something is that based Steve off Martin?
1: the Steve Martin quote? Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And so I, I think, think it's
1: Stephen Pressfield. Might be. I think so.
0: Yeah, and so. Um, I've tweaked that a little bit, be so Carrie that they can't ignore me. You know, I don't think anybody would ever say, Oh, Carrie reminds me of so-and-so or Carrie style is just like, so and so." like, good luck with that. Because I don't, I don't know. And I'm not saying that because I'm so good. I'm saying that because I'm so me. Um, it's a, you,
1: you're very unique. I mean, for those listening, it's literally this, Southern smile and hospitality on stage with probably a little kick in the butt. Some cayenne, uh, some cayenne yeah, pepper. A little yeah. cayenne pepper. Well, one thing I'm curious. So you've transitioned now past Barefoot Executive mm-hmm. and continued to evolve and grow your brand. And so you made that other leap, although that one was longer than your three year itch.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, barefoot was 2007. 2007- it took longer to transition out because it was such a good brand. It was hard. It, it st- still people call me that. And since there's yeah. a book, still people refer to that. It was hard to get away from that brand because it was such a good brand. Part of why we did that is because people knew the brand more than they knew me. And since I was transitioning to keynoting and thought leadership, um, like the barefoot lady or the bear, whatever, like that just wasn't translating well. They needed to know my name also because of social media and the, boldness of, we'll just say the boldness, boldness of like fetish communities, like barefoot is not a name you want to have in your keyword search anymore. Yeah. It just got kind of gross. So, uh, I have three daughters and one son and I just, uh, better safe than sorry. So we just migrated totally away from that. And we don't have any websites, any, anything related to that anymore. It's just Carrie Wilkerson. Um, And we, we left that brand, but also, uh, something I think people want to know is it's okay to evolve away from your brand. Barefoot was also very much a brand for startups, people with an idea, people that wanted to work at home or start a side hustle. And that's not at all who I work with now. Uh, my specialty is working with seven and eight figure founders, um, and people that want to create six figure offers. Yeah. Not six figure years, six figure offers. I mean, this is who I work with personally now. And then I, I don't speak to just anybody. I focus on speaking to high energy mega audiences and that's, that's what I do. And that's who I want to attract now.
1: I was about to say, but that also took you time to go through the path of saying, who do I really enjoy? Mm. And I think that's a really important thing of like, what lights you up versus, uh, I don't want to go get on a plane.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the pricing advice I got When I was offered my first couple of gigs, I was friends with the wife of the NSA president at the time. And I wasn't in NSA, but I said, you know, would he be okay emailing me or can I call him? And I just have a pricing question. And and we had met several times and he was a big fan. He followed me. And so I said, okay, I need to know how to create my price because I don't have a book. And I don't, at that point, I didn't, I don't have a book or a show or a celebrity name or whatever. And he said, well, The truth about speaking is you just make the price up you just make it up. You get to decide what it is and how much is it going to cost to get you out of the house and away from your littles at the time they were little away from your littles and sleeping in not your bed and showering in a hotel. Like what is that going to cost?
1: And the market's going to tell you yes or no.
0: And the market's going to tell you yes or no. Um, which there are some interesting things that, as you know, because this is something you and I work with in coaching, Uh, there are some counterintuitive things about pricing in this market, but uh, basically just make it up. Yeah, you can charge more if you're a celebrity. Yeah, you can charge more if you have a New York Times bestselling book, maybe, depending on if the audience wants a ticket draw or if they really want results for their company. So it just all depends. There is no formula. There is no set thing. But I had to say, okay, how much can I make at home? consulting like when i'm out of the office it costs me money uh i have to spend a lot of money when i'm out of the office because of kid care and pet care and you know taking care of the house and transportation and all those things you know um my kids are a little older now i still have one at home but they weren't born this age like <laughs> people yeah. say oh it's easier for you because your kids are older they weren't always this age so um you have to take all that into consideration And then you have to look at how do I recover? Um, I'm getting older. It takes me longer to recover from certain trips than others. Uh, Internationally, my fees double than domestically. And it comes with first class ticket instead of a normal ticket and a plus one because I don't want to go by myself. And it's going to have two extra hotel nights for recovery, you know, or sightseeing or whatever. I mean, it's just different and subjective and you have to be okay with that. And you have to be okay with not getting some of them.
1: Absolutely. You, you got okay to be okay getting that no. And we've talked about that in, <laughs> in a couple of different situations <laughs> as well. Of like being able, because I remember one of the ones I like walked away from and I was like,
0: Oh, like my I, God. I? You're, you're like, like Oh, no, I listen. hate that I lost that one. I, I know. Like, you did not lose that one. That money was you not turned, in your bank account. You, you didn't, turned didn't have it to down. give anybody money back. You walked away from it what you you, yeah. You stood up for your value. You stood up for what you were willing to do and not do. That being said, I spoke last weekend for 250. Yeah. And um, and by the way, don't message me and ask me to speak for 250. The answer is no. I was it was me, say, you my, better,
1: you better add a couple of zeros to yeah, the end of it was that my, just it, if you're interested. It,
0: it was a women's event at my old church, and it was a morning breakfast. And I'm very, very, very close with some of those ladies. And um, and I wanted to, and I could, but you know what? Even when I was cashing that check, I held on to it for a few days because it's less than my first check I ever got for speaking. Like my first check was 2,500. Um, but then I I remembered as I was uh, carrying that check, I said, you know, when my dad pivoted from full-time military, he was Coast Guard for 27 years, highly decorated officer. And when he retired and went into um, Bible college to go in the pastorate, which is what he felt like he should do. And I think he was 47. He was paid two fifty a week. And so I remember I was holding this check, you know, I'm, I'm such a mindset coach. I was holding that check. And I said to my husband, I said, Hey, I just spoke today for my dad's weekly salary. My dad's weekly salary. When he pivoted, I said, that's, that's kind of special. That's, that's kind of cool. Um, so it's just a matter of how you frame it. Um, I also have speaking contracts that were more than my first year as a teacher, Yeah. you know? And so it's made up, it's subjective, but nobody just wants to hear you speak because you're a rehearsed speaker. They want to hear people with something to say.
1: Well, people that can help them as I laugh. Like nobody cares how cool your story is. Maybe once, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? And that's where, like, I love the fact that you mentioned that about the check, because I think in any career- The higher we climb as you and I have talked about this. I'm like, I had a monster year last year. This year is running down it, going to pass it. And I'm like, oh, still got to keep climbing. Like I have that. I'm super happy because I I understand where I was five years ago, six years ago, and I'm grateful for it. But I still have that chase for more. Remembering that comparison piece.
0: Yeah. Putting things
1: into perspective, I think is really helpful for leaders because otherwise you start to detach yourself from the process and journey you went through to get to this point point, yeah, and you don't enjoy that paycheck, that salary, whatever you got that bonus now, because you're like, I wanted more versus like 10 years ago, man, you'd have killed for like a fraction of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think perspective is really important. I think, um, a mentor of mine said grateful, but never satisfied. Yeah. That's where he is. Um, Dr. James Dobson, legend in radio broadcasting and evangelical circles. Um, when he had me on his radio broadcast, he said, which, you know, considering the strong female voice and he believed he believed once upon a time, every woman needed to be home period end of story, not working. Uh, it was quite a shift for him to have someone like me on his radio show. And I've been invited back multiple times. And he said, I only want to
1: know what his email and hate mail look like that week.
0: (laughs) Cause I know <laughs> That's what I would say, I would say do, those first couple, not...
1: those first couple rows are all, my pastor always laughs. He's like, don't email me about that. Don't email me about that. this. I
0: would say do not email the show about that. All those <laughs> opinions are purely mine, but he would say, Carrie, you're perhaps the most driven woman I've ever met. And I said, gosh, you're hanging around in the wrong circles. I know a lot of women that are really, really driven just, you know, for different things, but, um, but mine's not really for money. Not really for ego, but maybe for impact or maybe to give people permission to see themselves the way I see them. Like, that's a good day. If I can get somebody to see themselves the way with the possibility that I see in them, give them permission to think a little differently about themselves, like that's a really good day. So when I shifted my thinking on that $250 check, I thought, okay, when my dad first got that $250 check for preaching, um, it validated his idea. It validated that he was where he was supposed to be. And I, it was just a, it was just a really cool anchor for me. Yes. I did spend it by the way. I didn't frame it or anything weird, but I did spend it. Uh, I did take a picture of it. Um, but it, it's just a helpful perspective, but we we can't compare. We can only compare. I, I don't even like comparing us to ourselves all the time because we're different than we used to be. Like I, I don't have the same, I have a lot of energy, let's be clear, but I don't have the same, same kind of energy that I had maybe 15 years ago. Um, but at the same time, I maybe have 10 times more empathy than I had. And I also have so many more lessons because of all the ages and stages I've been through with my kids and marriage and entrepreneurship and even technology and the internet. Like I'm one of the online internet, like godmothers. I've been around since the beginning with this online business thing and a public presence. So Kind of been there and done that, and I would hope I can process it with wisdom instead of a self-promotive know-it-allness, because to me that just feels different.
1: So, uh, as we kind of wrap up, a couple of things you've mentioned a few times: is family, and as somebody who is a speaker, it's very strategic about when she travels, works, <laughs> but works with people all over the world, events all over the world, clients all over the world. How do you set your schedule for your non-negotiable family time? You mentioned about like international trips. I'm bringing somebody with me. We're staying a couple extra days. Where else do you enforce that or set those boundaries so that it's not business first, it's family first, maybe with business included in that experience?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I am really intentional. Um, I also have kids that are in the performing arts. And so there is no like, on and off season for that, there is show weekends and not show weekends, and so I will not miss a show. That being said, I don't see every show in the run. I'm going to see at least one of those shows. So if if you want me the same weekend as a show, you have to be prepared to to work around my schedule and fly me in and out and get me where I need to be. I have literally left backstage, thrown the market, people sped to the airport, and and. Uh, flown to just catch curtain time when my kid was Annie and when, you know, and I'm serious about musical theater and anybody that really follows me knows that I'm not going to miss my kids shows. Um, but I'm not at every show. Um, when my kids played sports, like I'm not at every game. I can miss a game here or there, but I'm really intentional on connecting with them before, or after, or that they know the importance of what I'm doing, where I'm going. So that being said, I try to just really boss my calendar around. Like I do my budget. I try to tell my calendar what it's doing. Like when are the, when are the no-go's? Um, I don't miss the first day of school. I don't miss, you know, important things. I, I block out, I have a kid in college. I block out parent weekend. I block out those things. And if somebody calls and says, Hey, we have an event, such and such. I say, okay, here's the conflict there's either no workaround for that. So I can recommend you something. Is there any wiggle room on your date or how can we make it work? You and I have friends that have been in such demand that people have sent the jet for them and then, then I'm back. Yeah. That's, that's not been my world yet. I've never had that hard and fast of a deadline yet, but I am really strategic about what I say no to. And I'm, I'm not afraid to say no, and I'm not afraid to turn down the money, but I can also be creative and say, I can't be there in person, but would a Ted talk style video be a value? I also have pricing for that. And then I can be in both places at the same time. How else could I serve? um, if I'm really who you want, so you can do that. The other thing I like to do is I like to see if, and when there's a chance to take my family or one person in my family with me, I have four kids. So a couple of them are adult and moved out. Um, if it's a cool location, obviously I like to take them with me. My husband also travels a lot. His his business is not super fun. It's meetings all day, every day when he's gone. So um, he doesn't take anybody with him when he goes, except he is going to Hawaii in November and we're booking the long weekend before or after his meeting week so that um, one of the kids and I can go with him. Uh, so we just look at different things like that. Uh, I think it's important for kids to see their parents work. I think it's important even for siblings. like. People in your family, my mom has gone with me a couple of different times, and they also see that it's not as glamorous as they think it is when they go with you. My yes, it's
1: not ever is like occasionally you're like, Oh, Jake's in a really cool spot, must be nice. I'm like,
0: You know, my last nine- week where I was, yeah. you weren't saying that. Well, not only that, my nine year old went with me once, and it was a cool speaking gig, but she She's like, mom, I know you say you get paid for speaking, but you really get paid for a lot of walking and traveling and renting cars and driving to places. <laughs> she said speaking is a very small part of what you actually do. And she's Speaking's not is the
1: most fun part. It's, it's the, the dealing with rental yeah. car checks and TSA and yeah. all of that. That's yeah.
0: True. And, and every once in a while, it's a really cool venue. You know, they got to set sit in the suites when I did my last arena speech. They got to see that. And for them to see their mom that way, you know, I'm not going to lie. That was raising daughters. That was a really cool, like, break the ceiling moment. Um, my kids don't see any ceilings. My kids don't see any reasons why they can't do what they want to do because they see a mom who's unafraid to try it or ask for it or do it, And so that's really strong and powerful, but I will say that like today, and you know this, because we talked about this during our coaching session, I'm looking at some places I've been invited to go like for a friend's 50th birthday and for different things. And then I'll put those down and I'll say, okay, I want to go do that. Can I book a speaking gig around that area? Or can I create a workshop or can I take a colleague or how can I make that really intentional how can I, you know, my husband would say, how can you make that a business expense? Yes. That's yeah. not my primary, but my primary is how can I make it profitable? How can I make it pay for itself? How can I, you know, make it valuable for social content? How can I build some good connections or, you know, meet it, make it meaningful? So um, I am very intentional about that too. So there's just a couple different ways. But last year I spoke at Huntington Beach, California. I took my littlest with me because it was her birthday week. So she went with me and, um, did surfing lessons and we shopped and we did the pier and all kinds of fun things. And she doesn't even remember that I spoke. She just only remembers that she and mom went to California for her birthday last year. So, um, I don't know. I think we can have it all. I think we can't necessarily do it all. I don't think we can have it all at the same time. I think you have to be intentional with your priorities, but, um, Also will say, I am not the mom that stays home because it's somebody's birthday. So let me talk about that. I think that birthdays are important. I think that they happen every year. And I think my kids have never, ever complained about celebrating them early if I had a conflict. (laughs) So if I said, oh, mom's been invited to, or mom's been hired to do this on this day, So it's also about how you frame it. So I thought we would move your birthday to blah, blah, blah day and celebrate it this way or this way. What do you think? There are a lot of parents really trapped in the, but they wake up to balloons and donuts and blah, blah. Like we have these traditions. Great. Great. If you're prepared to turn down a $25,000 keynote fee or a potential big career-making thing, or allow your child to think they're the center of your universe for that one day, that's that's really up to you. But just make sure you're not doing it as out of fear or out of uh, familiar. My kids have never, ever complained about celebrating their birthday early or going with me and celebrating it a different way. We do still have a lot of traditions. Guess what, mom and dad, when they go to college or when they move out, You are not going to be there in the morning to wake them up with balloons and tradition. So creepy in the dorm room. Good to kind of teach them some resilience or whatever. But um, it's just, I would say you don't have to block off all the birthdays. You don't have to do that. Maybe the birthday weekend, or maybe just leave space in the birthday week or whatever. Um, I would
1: say the big one, like the 16, the the big moments, but also it's what you just said. It's like with any relationship, the communication piece. I think yeah. I was traveling last year on my wife and I's anniversary
0: and every was like, year. Hey, yeah,
1: I'm going to be gone. I have this opportunity. Like we can celebrate the weekend before when we get back, when you want to do it. She's okay with it. She's like, yeah. yeah, go take that gig.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, but it's also in how you frame it. So with my kids, yep. I'm like, and because of that, we're going to be able to X, Y, Z, or if we do this, then we can that. And, uh, my kids and they're super flexible and resilient about those kind of things. We had we got married uh the last week of May. Uh we weren't thinking about kids obviously. We got married between semesters because we I was a college kid. Yeah. Um which means we never get to celebrate our anniversary. We always have a choir concert or somebody's in a musical or there's baseball season or something. Like May is the worst. Uh we have one child born with a spring break birthday. And I also have a spring break birthday. We have another child whose birthday always falls the week after school gets out. So everybody's always gone. So there's never a big school party. We have one whose birthday falls on Christmas break. So there's never, you know, so they've learned to celebrate theirs at different times. And um we're we just try to be super flexible. If you want a career like this, um, I think flexibility is really important. And it it teaches them, it gives them a whole different set of skills. So that's, I will say, I do preserve a lot of family things and plan around them a lot, but we don't have sacred days as makes far as sense. that goes.
1: Makes it's, sense. But as about sense. I say, you're still intentional with how we still celebrate and create those experiences. Oh, we Oh, percent The day is all that matters. They're,
0: they're, they're ridiculously spoiled. They are ridiculously celebrated. and uh, And as a matter of fact, my child who's been married two years, uh, who still leaves it to me to plan her birthday this last year on the birthday, I said to the husband, Hey, this is yours now. Like next year, just be prepared that I'm going to reach out and say, what plans do you have for Emily? Let us know. And we're happy to show up, but I'm handing over the birthday, uh, mantle to you, uh, to handle from now on. I'm I've done my time.
1: (laughs) I laugh when my, when my parents, when they were married, when they first got married, they like the morning after they had breakfast with everybody and then they were leaving on their honeymoon and they had breakfast with both sets of parents. And my mom was like getting ready to go to the airport. And she was like, oh, I want to get a newspaper. And she looked at her dad and was like, hey, can I have a quarter or something for a newspaper? He was like, not anymore. He's like, you can ask him now.
0: It's that's, his
1: responsibility.
0: That's hysterical. I love it. I love so it.
1: So I love it. Carrie, this has been a lot of fun for listeners who may be interested in reaching out to you about the coaching that you do or getting you to speak at their large event. Where's the best place to send them to connect with you?
0: Yeah, um Carrie Wilkerson on all social media platforms. First of all, I would say they need to call you as a coach first because you're a great coach, um also great speaker. Uh Carrie Wilkerson, I spell it the way Stephen King spelled it in his horror movie, so you won't forget that. Wilkerson and uh I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm not on Twitter and LinkedIn very much, but more so Facebook, Instagram. And then my website is carriewilkerson.com. Um YouTube channel, Carrie Wilkerson TV. So, so there's ha- a little bit of me everywhere.
1: There is. I have to ask, did you get as much grief with that movie as I do with the State Farm commercials?
0: Um, not as much Jake from State Farm. That's funny. I've never, ever thought that before. Oh my but God. Now every, every time it. I meet people. Like Jake, Jake from State Farm. What are you wearing, yep. Jake? Now I'm gonna have to ask you that at every coaching call. Hey, Jake, what are you wearing? Um, You'll never
1: see me in khakis and a red shirt <laughs> together ever.
0: Just a red jacket. Just um, red
1: jacket. Yep.
0: It didn't cause, it came out after, you know, I was kind of older, so not not so much, but I do use it at Starbucks. Like they never spell my name wrong at Starbucks because I'm like Carrie as in Stephen King. Um, mine was more so Carrie Fisher, you know, yeah. I'm from the Star Wars era. Yeah. And so mine was more like, oh, did your parents name you after a Carrie? No, I was already born when the movie came out, but thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this has been a blast. I appreciate you. Super
0: fun. Every time, super fun. And we are also a case study in mutual connections and relationships and serving on Twitter. That's where we initially met. Yeah.
1: Chris Brogan.
0: Yep. And then met at an actual event and, uh, and now working together. So, and and funny
1: enough on that, I told, so I met you at that success live event in 17. I just, I think done my very first keynote uh, or like corporate state association keynote still was like, eh, maybe I'm going to do this. And I was like, we're going to speak on a stage one day. And funny enough, like a year later, they had a speaker bill and had like no budget, but they're like, Hey, can you come to a breakout at this Dallas event? You were keynoting. I was like hot diggity. And you saved the text message.
0: I did. You said, we're going to share a stage. I'm going to finish my book this year and I'm going to X, Y, Z. I remember what the third I didn't was. finish
1: the book that year, but I did get on a stage and you sent me the screenshot and I was like,
0: Oh. Yeah, I saved it, of course, because relationships matter. And I never, ever pitched you to coach with me. And I never, ever pitched you to connect me for speaking anything. And we were just serving. And so uh, that's the power of connections and relationships and real capital, in my opinion. And who knows? We might share the stage again soon. Stay. (laughs)